We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna According to Vic Carucci of the Buffalo News, Tyrod Taylor will not be taking less money, which means he will be cut by the Bills. Now, it could just be it's a matter of principle for Taylor, and he doesn't care how much more or less the Bills would offer him in relation to what's on the open market. He's not going to accept less, and he'll be cut, and he'll take his career from there. Or it could be that he already knows what the Bills would offer. And his agent has already gauged the market, which is a fancy way of saying that the agent has induced other teams to engage in tampering by finding out what other teams would pay him in comparison to what the Bills have offered on a reduced deal. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pal Report podcast. I'm your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. This is my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Mike Florio from NBC Sports. How's everybody doing today? It's February 14th. Can you feel the love in the air? I mean, can you feel it? Drew is going to go talk about how great his girlfriend is. I'm going to go in the bathroom and punch one out. <laughs> How's everyone doing out there? Did you get something special from that lady in your life? Or did you get something for her? Boyfriend, Drew's, girlfriend, Drew's Occasion, occasional fuck buddy. Did you guys, did everybody out there make everybody special to them? Did, did you make them feel good today? If, you, if not, don't worry. Because we've got a boatload of draft talk. Yeah. <laughs> Larissa's gift to you was you get to come over. <laughs> Oh, ladies and gentlemen, before we start the podcast, I want to give a special shout out to our listener, Larissa Filipski. This girl is a doll. She not only fools around with me, but she also lets me drink and smell terrible and just do the things that she knows I love to do, including this podcast, which is why I'm here tonight talking to you guys. I'm sure a lot of you are out there eating lobster dinners or uh, maybe just making grilled cheese, watching bad movies on the couch at home. Yeah. Don't Where are my worry. divorced people at? <laughs> Screw this holiday. Are you kidding me? Uh, 
Just give me oh. more foreigner. <laughs> Oh, he hits that note so good. Oh my god. Can we can we let's stop talking about stupid things like love and move on to actual things that matter like, like football. Bills football. Oh, well then Chris, you know what? Who am I to deny you? Let's move on with this week's Buffalo Bills news update. So the news is out. Tyrod Taylor. No pay cut, but open to a restructure? <laughs> As you heard in the intro, Tyrod's camp has stated that he has zero interest in taking a pay cut in order to remain with the Buffalo Bills organization. Why the hell should he? Right now, there are a number of teams looking for a starting quarterback. I mean, first up, the San Francisco 49ers. Yes, they've been linked to Jimmy Garoppolo. They currently only have Gabbard under contract. Blaine Gabbert proved earlier this season that he wasn't the answer, which is why he was benched. You know, Chip Kelly thought he might be able to save his job that way. You don't want to go into a season with that as your only quarterback. So yes, the 49ers might be a viable landing spot for him, but their team is terrible. The next team on the docket, the Browns. They have RG3 on the roster, and they do have premium draft picks to trade or to use to draft a quarterback. And they've also, like the 49ers, been linked to Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, does Tyrod really want to go play for the Browns and have to play the Bills every year since that's what the NFL does to us? They're like, well, every time these two teams get together, some kind of a train wreck develops. Let's just see what that looks like. Well, thank God we don't have to play them this upcoming season. We get Cincinnati instead. At the end of the day, I don't see either one of those teams who he's being linked to as a viable option. I don't. I think that if his agent's smart, he realizes he can't win in either one of those locations. He can't. I like your next spot here, the Jets. The Jets. Because the hosts of the Jet Take podcast, Ben Blessington and Kyle Fahey, have an enormous middle school boner for Tyrod Taylor. Well, what I'll say is this. The Jets, yeah, you could see a team like that say, hey, we need a quarterback. We just paid $12 million for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Why wouldn't we spend a little bit more and get us a Tyrod Taylor? What I will say is that they invested a second-round pick in Hackenberg just last season, and they should, I say that in air quotes, should be in rebuild mode. But I can see how they would screw that up, too, because I don't like McCagan as a GM. I just don't. Yeah, he looks like Tom Simikowski from <laughs> Office Space. <laughs> He's going to jump to conclusions. Yeah. The conclusion is, you suck. <laughs> I could see Tyrod as a bridge quarterback for that franchise, but I just think his price tag is going to be too high for what the Jets could offer him. And then the only other team out there that I see offering him a legitimate contract would be the Bears. They have the need, they have the cap space, but their lack of playmakers around him, I mean, I'm sorry, but I don't think Alshon Jeffries is long for the Chicago Bears. Kevin White? Kevin White. What is Kevin White? He broke his leg. Remember, he broke his leg and was like out for a whole year. And then he missed the next year, too. Sorry. You haven't done anything for me. I don't know what you are. So so eventually, uh, I I shouldn't say eventually. Essentially, Tyrod Taylor would be walking away from, 
A situation with the Bills where he knows the playmakers. Yes, we don't have a ton of them, but the ones we do will still be here. He's, you mean to tell me he's going to go to a team like the Bears who are going to give him the same money we were offering him, but he's going to have fewer opportunities to make plays. That just doesn't seem like smart. They don't have any tight ends, let alone we don't use our tight end. <laughs> they, Alshon Jeffrey shows up on the field. I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, whether it's unlike... <laughs> I think it's unlikely that he gets a better deal from any of these teams than what the Bills are giving him. He could get similar money from some GM out there who feels like he's on the hot seat. He needs to bring in a name. McCagnan? I need to show that I can that I know what I'm doing and I can find talent out there in the league. And that in and of itself might be enough for Tyrod, regardless of whether or not he feels like he can actually win with that football team. But it's also been floated out there, I'm assuming by his camp, that Tyrod would be willing to take a restructure of his deal to facilitate the Bills accepting his extension. And once again, why the hell wouldn't he accept that? Any sort of financial restructure would just serve to lower Tyrod's cap hit in 2017. Yes, that would be very team-friendly of him, but it would push more money around and make it harder for the Bills to cut him after that second year, which is one of the positives that his contract currently holds. You know, most of his guaranteed money is there in the first two years. So what you could do is you could use Tyrod, if you're the Buffalo Bills, you could use Tyrod as a bridge quarterback. Say, listen, we're not going to let our team stop being competitive, but we're going to draft a guy either this year or next year and let them ride pine. And, you know, and we'll do that and we'll let them acclimate to the game and then we'll roll them out there as our starter. You could do that with Tyrod under contract and not lose the competitiveness that he brings to your offense. I, but again, if he takes a restructure, it's going to make him harder to cut because you're pushing more guaranteed money down the road. You don't want to do that. That The two-year aspect of his contract is the only thing that makes it attractive. Right or wrong, Chris? No, that's, that's absolutely correct. I mean, I don't like Tyrod Taylor to begin with, but... As long as this contract is team-friendly and uh, we have a, a limited dead cap hit if we were to cut him, makes it better for me. And then, on Sunday morning, just to, just to make this all suck a little bit more, I'm on the shitter at a bar at 8 a.m., okay? That tells you everything you need to know about my life this weekend, as I did the polar plunge wearing a Speedo. Did you get, dude, how was that? You didn't even put a picture on Twitter. No, because no one needs to see me. Uh, you know what? In fact, you know what? All of you listening to this podcast, approximately 20 minutes after you download this, you'll be able to go to our Twitter and see a picture of me in a Speedo in all of my glory. And we'll make sure we tag Kyle Fahey because he's going to want to see that. <laughs> no one needs to see that. So I'm on the shitter at a bar at 8 a.m., and I open up my phone and I see on Pro Football Talk an article stating that Doug Whaley would be comfortable starting Cardell Jones in 2017. Can you do me a favor and spell Cardale? C-A-R-D-A-L-E. Okay. Greg, Greg text me. Oh, boy. And told me that Cardale was a bum. <laughs> I had to figure it out because he spelled Cardale. C-O-R-D-E-L-L. That's hilarious. I think if you, if you, because you probably get this too with some of your friends, because I get it with Greg all the time, you just get into a, a text argument with somebody. As soon as they don't know how to spell, like their argument is null and void and Chris, you automatically win. Chris, I'm not going to lie to you. You of all people should know that I don't answer my phone. 
No. But I'm <laughs> sure. Folks, for those of you who don't know, Chris has to text my girlfriend when he wants me to know things. Like if there's something important about the show or about what we're doing this week, he has to text her to tell me because my phone, I'm sorry, I come home and I unplug. You I'm don't, off the grid. You don't like text Neil, nope. Vinny. Nope. Anybody text you about nope. sports? I come home, the pants come off, a beer goes in hand, and I shut down. I'm off the grid. You're done. I just feel like if you if you text with one of your friends, like at least back me up on that. Somebody you text with your friends about the bills and you're arguing and one of you can't spell. Your argument is I think is null and void. Oh, I agree. But so back to the Cardell Jones point. I know that a lot of you hearing this collectively probably clench your teeth. Maybe your fists. Yeah, because we're four picks away from Dak. At the idea of Cardell Jones being our starter in 2017. And I can't say that I'd applaud the move. But you have to look at it from the position of being an NFL GM. If he thinks he's got at least two more seasons. I'm talking about Doug Whaley. If Doug Whaley thinks that he's got at least two more seasons to win. And he doesn't trust Tyrod to be the answer. Then why wouldn't he use Cardell Jones as a stopgap? He could clear 17 or actually no after the dead hit it's about 14 million in cap space this season simply by letting Tyrod walk. He could let Cardell Jones go out there and then if Cardell proves to be the answer great he's he, he'll get credited for finding a diamond in the rough. And if Cardell sucks and completely blows this season, the coach isn't getting fired. He's not getting fired. And we've just set ourselves up for a high draft pick in what is arguably going to be one of the best drafts for quarterbacks that the NFL has seen in years. For 2018? Yeah. That's shrewd. That would be a shrewd GM move for Doug Whaley to make, which is specifically why I don't think he'll do it. I think he knows that the older players on the roster would see that as a a commitment to losing. I mean, hey, I think I think hey, I think our schedule this upcoming year is tough. We have the fourth hardest schedule in the NFL. We have the AFC West and the NFC South. Yep, we'll be in Atlanta hopefully for that game. Um, look, for the we're gonna be getting our draft stuff later with Connor Rogers at Bleacher Report. But when it comes to the quarter quarterback, I know a lot of people want us to draft a quarterback. Don't draft a quarterback. To draft a quarterback. No, you draft a quarterback when you know that he's the guy who can lead your franchise. And if that's what we can get in 18, then let's wait until 18. But so here's the thing. There's there's just a lot of moving parts to this whole situation. This is going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. We've only got a couple weeks. You know, they've got to make a decision by early March. I think it's March 3rd, that Friday. Something like that. They have to decide what they want to do. So it's going to be coming up really quickly here. It's coming up. I could see this franchise saying, listen, we know Tyrod's not the long-term answer. We, I, could see them, I could see them going a couple different ways, and here's how I'd spell it out. First scenario, Tyrod Taylor says, hey, I'm not willing to take a pay cut. And Doug Whaley looks at him and says, hey, you know what, though? New offensive coordinator, this offensive system, I know we've talked about it with Eric Turner. The stretch offense, you know, it's going to open up passing lanes, play action, bootlegs. We love you for this stuff. Rick Dennison knows you. He knows how to tailor to your experience and to your skill set. Let's keep Tyrod around. I can see that happening, and I will not be shocked if that's the way they go. I also will not be shocked if they decide to cut him and stick with Cardell. The reason being is that in 2018, 
The Bills only have 25 players under contract right now into that year. We will finish that year with about 68, 68 million in cap space. This season, if they look at it and they so choose to take this as just a building year, they could go into 2018 with a freshly drafted quarterback who can ride pine or who can come in and start immediately, depending on his skill set. Or, and have plenty of cap space to build a team around him through free. Or they could try to anchor themselves down now with fancy cap moves. You know, obviously, the thing that people, I think, lose sight of, and this is almost a separate story in and of itself from the Tyrod Taylor saga. People have been railing about this idea that the Bills are strapped for cap space. Yes, we don't have some of the money that some of these other franchises do. But you still saw Indomit and Sue get signed by the Miami Dolphins in a year where they seemingly had no cap space. How did that happen? Because their GM has a fucking pulse. Okay, He understands cap management. He signed him to a deal where most of his cap space kicked into a year where he, they had they were flush with cap. They didn't have to worry about it. Good GMs can make those deals. They can. I believe that Doug Whaley is contract savvy. He was savvy enough to build this into Tyrod's contract, which is why we're here having this conversation. So going into this free agency period, I don't think we're as strapped for cash as people want to make it seem. So what it's going to come down to is philosophy. (laughs) Are we going to commit to this year being a building year? Going in with the best opportunity to draft a new, possibly franchise quarterback in 2018. Building more play. You know, do we go into this draft and just draft a bunch of playmakers, best player available throughout the entire draft? We do nothing in free agency, but try to keep our own guys. As I say, free agency, you try to keep your own guys, but I don't think in any point in this free agency are we going to be that team that shells out all the coin for the top free agents. Look at the look at who we got last year: Lorax, Zach Brown. Yep, they but, were like a second, third day, but they for, set the world on fire. Exactly. This year. I, I think, think that's what we do this free agency period. I think you're going to see, especially with wide receivers. I think you're going to see more of that, but ultimately, I, there's there's a lot to still be decided here. You know, they, you hear Mike Florio talk about it in very certain terms about, oh, Tyrod will be cut. What the fuck does he know? Okay. I'm sorry. I don't, I, I, I'm a casual fan of Mike Florio. Sometimes I think he's a blowhard, and this is one of those moments. I believe that nothing is set in stone here. There's multiple avenues that our front office could take, and they've got two and a half, almost three weeks to exercise their options. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But that, that specter of that 2018 draft, that allure, of, hey, you could get a franchise quarterback if you're just bad enough to get deep enough into this draft that you can snag one. That might be enough right there to kind of guide Doug Whaley. So it'll be really interesting to see how that all plays out. And now, folks, as we get into the meat and potatoes of tonight's episode, we're talking about the NFL draft. Now, the run-up to the NFL draft, it's a lot. It's a lot to deal with. You've got hundreds of names being thrown at you. I mean, if you follow SportsCenter, if you read sports blogs, which I'm sure all of you do if you're listening to a podcast, There's names being thrown out all over the place, all kinds of crazy metrics that might matter, might not matter. You've got people who get paid to do this for a living whose opinions are just like everybody else's. Some of them suck. There almost is no right answer right up until the day of the draft and then afterwards. No no one knows what's going to happen, which makes draft prep so hard. And for those of you guys out there who might be married, might have children, responsibilities outside of, I don't know, dogs, a girlfriend, drinking, divorce, that's all I've got. 
let us here at the Rockpile Report do some of the heavy lifting for you. Okay, with our 2017 draft preparation series. Now, for tonight's installment, we're going to be looking at defensive backs. Okay, the safety position, the cornerback position. And we decided to start there because it's one of the deepest positions in the draft. And it's probably the deepest for this position that we've seen in years. And we've got a special guest on tonight who's going to come on and talk to us about it. Connor Rogers, Bleacher Report draft analyst. Connor, how are you doing? Good, guys. What's going on? <laughs> Not too much. So you are a draft analyst for Bleacher Report. Now, what else are you involved in? Uh, I do a lot of stuff. I actually work in the video production department of Bleacher Report, like producing our draft shows, our draft content. And then uh, I do also write for the website. I work under Matt Miller and his very, very small scouting department. So uh, it took a long time to, you know, to get to this point, but I'm glad I, I do pretty much the NFL draft almost all year round, which is pretty rare. No, see, that's fantastic, though, because that that means that you are probably one of the most I, I don't want to say reliable, but one of the most knowledgeable people we're probably going to get to talk to about this stuff. I mean, I you, hope so. I don't want to let you guys down after <laughs> you brought me on. Your show. <laughs> you eat, sleep and breathe this stuff, man. So I, I give you all the props in the world. Now, you've. You've worked on a lot of different stuff here. I got to ask, where does your NFL rooting interest lie? So I grew up in a family full of crazy Jets fans for the most part. You know, there's always a few Giants fans, one side of my family, some of them like the Giants. But uh, they, my, my dad and on his side of the family had Jets season tickets since basically going back to Shea. And uh, wow. so, I mean, I was in the Meadowlands when I was like four years old and uh i mean i i grew up loving the jets but mostly just fell into just draft as a writer and as the years go on i kind of lose let you know i kind of lose that rooting interest in the nfl because like i told you guys so much of my work goes into the draft and just evaluating players and don't get me wrong i, I love as a being a fan of football but overall just following one team is kind of falling out of the cards over the last two to three years i would say oh i can absolutely i can absolutely see that especially given your workload and given how you're just you have to take an eagle eye view to this stuff you really do so yeah without a doubt and i mean you know like i said i'm a huge mets and rangers fan in hockey so i have enough to keep me you know to let me sit back and be a fan when it's time to be a fan but when this is a 24 7 365 kind of gig it's just hard to keep fan goggles on and it just makes your work easier when you know you like you said just you know no bias kind of view so I have to ask the question, you know, we like to get our fans more familiar with all of our guests. First question, as a Jets fan, what was your favorite game? What's your favorite moment as far as being a fan of that football team? Uh, I would say as a little kid, the Monday Night Miracle was up there, but I was pretty young. So and I did stay up for the game because my parents were always super cool when it came to sports. Um, but like, I would say the more recent one would be when the Jets beat the Patriots in the playoffs. I was a freshman in college. So that was, I mean, you could imagine what the scene was like because I only hung out with my Jets fan friends that day and <laughs> absolutely wild. And I mean, that was like the, the, the peak of the Rex Ryan era, no mm -hmm. doubt the absolute peak of it. So we were riding high and thought we had finally dethroned them. Now you look years and years later, the Patriots are still winning Super Bowls and constantly winning the division. So it's kind of hilarious when I look back on it. Oh, yeah. And so then I got to ask on the flip side of that, what was your least favorite moment as a Jets fan? Oh, man. Uh, I would probably say the butt fumble game <laughs> on a scale of just like, 
either the Jets are awesome, at, and this is why I'm kind of glad I've, I've just separated myself from being a fan of one team, really. They can ruin a holiday like you would not believe, whether it's Thanksgiving, <laughs> Christmas Eve. I've seen it all. I've seen – my dad is almost defeated to the point where I go home and we'll watch you know, football together. Mm-hmm. If the Jets are playing on a holiday, you just kind of know it's going to suck for the most part, which is – it's hilarious at this point. Oh, that's terrible. Terrible, but hey, the Bills did it to us on Christmas Eve, so what, what can I say? Yeah, you guys are familiar with it. You know exactly what it's like, especially playing in the AFC East. So let's get right into this. I, I mean, we're talking about defensive backs. Now, Connor, you've done extensive work on this as far as your draft preparation goes. Can you Do you agree with me that this is probably the deepest, if not one of the deepest, positions in this year's draft? Yeah, without a doubt. And I think what makes it so special is we finally have a good safety class. When you look back, it's been a while since we've had, you know, a safety class with high-end talent. I think you look back at the, you know, the one that had Earl Thomas and Eric Berry both in it. And I think this year kind of has not necessarily the same tandem, but a very similar one with Malik Hooker and Jamal Adams. We just don't get high-end safety talent in every single draft, and that's what makes this one so special. And when you look at the corners, it's not, you know, you're not looking for an elite talent here, but you're looking for the depth of talent. You might have starters in the top 75 picks across the board and could be really, really good plug-and-play starters. So that's what makes this group pretty special in comparison to the other position groups. So for everybody out there, we've broken this down into four different groups. You know, just, just so that we can kind of organize this conversation a little bit. We're going to start off with the possibilities. Who out of this defensive back group could go at number 10 overall to the Buffalo Bills? And who makes sense and why? Then we break it down into safeties that are going to go in the top three, cornerbacks that are going, going to go in the top three. And then we're going to drop some sleepers on you. Just, just some names that you might want to familiarize yourself with who could show up in later rounds and why those players might make sense for the Buffalo Bills. You hit the nail on the head. Elite safety talent is what sets this draft apart from a lot of other drafts in recent history that had decent cornerbacks in it. We and should be looking at it based on Aaron Williams. And given our safety you know, position right now and the level of talent we have at, on our staff, this would seem like a no-brainer to start at. And like you touched on, there's, gonna be, there's two players right at the top of that list. The first guy out there is Malik Hooker, free safety out of Ohio State. I mean, what's not to like about this guy? He has elite size and speed for the free safety position, considering that he's six foot two, two hundred and five pounds. I mean, you have to love that, right, Connor? Yeah, like I said, when you listen, when you're going to take a safety in the top fifteen picks, you have to find elite traits, or else you you just don't gamble on that. Because you look at teams that have done it in the past, there has to be elite traits. And with Hooker, right off the top, look at his range. That is a he has special range, and I know. People get crazy and they throw the Ed Reed thing out there. And listen, I'm not going to go that far with it. But I mean, when you look at what he can do, I think look back to what Darren Sharper did. Guys like that. What Hooker's range is off the charts. And going back to what you said with his size, he could be physical. He gets knocked for being essentially not a great tackler. But a lot of that is his angles. It's not that he can't come to balance or break down or lay the wood on a guy's sideline to sideline. It's a correctable issue. So when you're talking about taking a guy in the top 15, and like you said, going back to the Bills, even earlier than top 15, Hooker's a guy you can gamble on because he can change the entire back end of your defense. Oh, He's got ball skill, And that's the other thing. He's got vision and ball skills. The guy had seven interceptions in 2016 and returned three of them for touchdowns. So he can not only get his mitts on the ball, 
But when he gets it, he's dangerous because he sees the field really well, which also speaks to his ability to play the back end of a defense. I mean, I mean you're talking about we're moving away. We are a defense in flux. Okay, we're, We were playing kind of a man-press system. You know, Rex Ryan liked to throw linebackers in shallow zones and things like that to try to confuse a quarterback. Whereas Sean McDermott's defensive kind of philosophy has been to play this cover three, which is essentially a cover two defense where you've got your two deep safeties. You play a little bit of off coverage with your other two cornerbacks, sometimes press, but some off coverage. And they like to employ that third, you know, a third D back somewhere in there as a robber underneath to play that shallow zone. When you, in order to do that, you need defensive backs who see the field well and who who can take the ball away. Malik Hooker checks every box on that list. He and like you were saying, he he can tackle. I mean, the guy had five and a half tackles for a loss and five sacks as a free safety. Those aren't numbers to sneeze at. The only cons against the guy. Now, here's where that comes in. First off, he's coming off of an injury. Now, he's not going to participate at all during the combine. You know, the combine's a thing in the run-up to the draft. A lot of guys can kind of, their, their positions start to shift. Things get fluid. He's not going to be able to participate because he's coming off of hip labrum surgery, which could, you know, there, there's a possibility that it could affect his overall speed and fluidity going into next season. Connor, is there any chance that this injury makes him slide in the draft? Uh, I don't think so. I think when you look on tape, you could see a special player. And, and I think, like I said, his skill set's so unique that teams looking for a safety in the in the top 15, he's not going to slide out of that group. And especially what he does, because when you're talking about who he stacks against in his own class, which is Jamal Adams and Jabril Peppers to a lesser extent, those guys don't do what he does. Jamal Adams is a dog on the back end. He'll come up and he'll hit you in the face. I've seen him cover out in the slot. But when you're talking about a true guy over the top that can go sideline to sideline, take the ball away, like you guys said, excellent with the ball in his hands after the interception, Hooker's in his own class. And that's a skill set that's so rare. He, I mean, it's just he's not going to be looked down upon for missing the combine. It's as simple as that because I think teams know what he can run. They know what he weighs in that. Mm-hmm. He's a true 6'2", 200 pounds, so you don't have to worry about that. With a lot of these corners, on the other hand, their heights get kind of exaggerated on the depth chart. Mm-hmm. Hooker as a safety, he's got the length, and teams know that. I don't think there's any concerns, honestly. There's no off-field concerns. He would have ran well. Teams are going to have all the info they need on him, and he's just not going to slide. I agree. My overview on this player is just that I think I've heard the same stuff you had as far as him being compared to Eric Berry, him being called the next Ed Reed. I don't care about any of that. What I care about is the fact that in this year's draft, he looks like he's the best overall secondary player out there. I mean, just as far as a complete player, the most polished product that you could draft inside of the top 10, he's it. So if the Bills were to decide, hey, you know what? We really want to address this position and we want to get an elite playmaker for the back end of our defense because we know we're going to need it. Malik Hooker sounds like he'd be a perfect spot. And like you said, going back to McDermott's system, listen, I've seen people say, hey, the Bills got to get a corner, especially if Gilmore walks. But you can rely less on the cornerbacks in the system. You don't have to use a premium top 10 pick on a corner with the way McDermott plays these guys. Now, if you take a guy like Hooker, he's going to make the corners around him better. And that goes to what we're going to talk about with guys like Garen Conley, Marshawn Lattimore, who I do like a lot. But having Hooker behind them help freeze them up so much to be aggressive underneath. They can jam at the line because if they get beat, the help they have over the top is elite. 
not a lot of college corners have elite help over the top. And, you know, that's going to be so important. I think the Bills are in a position where, listen, we don't have to get too off the tracks here. We don't know what's going to happen with quarterback with them. We've seen some Deshaun Watson linked to them. But if Malik Hooker does fall to them, which would be a little bit of a surprise to me, he's the perfect fit for the back end of that defense. So you mentioned his name earlier, and we're going to move to him because he's number two on my list of possibilities for the Bills at number 10. If they were to go D-back. If D-back is in the cards, whether it's cornerback safety, if they're looking for talent, this guy's number two with a bullet, and it's Jamal Adams. Strong safety out of LSU. Now, for pros, I mean, I look at him and I say he's got size, he's got speed. You know, He's physical enough to play with tight ends and big wide receivers. That guy is, you touched on it, he will go out there and force negative plays all over the field. He hits with authority. He plays a very physical brand of football. I mean, that game against Alabama, you're talking about the, the team that almost, you know, almost won the national title game. They went into that game against Alabama. He finished the game with six tackles, three of them solos, and one tackle for a loss, and then almost had a pick. I mean, he, he had a fantastic game in that game, and just watching him play really opened my eyes to what he could be at the NFL level. And then watching his highlight tapes, the guy goes out there and he's got a nose for the ball. It seems like he's constantly, you know, you see a a scrum trying to tackle somebody and he's there ripping at the ball. And more often than not, it comes out. I mean, am I right or am I wrong about that? I mean, no doubt. When you look at players, listen, when new coaches come in, especially defensive coaches, they kind of want to take a guy that could be the face of their defense and a guy they can rely on, a smart player, a guy that can make the calls, a guy that plays with a different attitude and brings everybody up to their best level. And I think that's been Jamal Adams. And like you said, he's aggressive as it gets, sometimes a little too aggressive. He, he only missed seven tackles this year, though. So when you watch him play, listen, he can over pursue, but he is often right most of the time. He can line people up. He's much better in coverage than people give him credit for. I mean, he only allowed about half of his targets to be completed this year. He only allowed one touchdown in the air. He did have the interception. I think he breaks on the ball really well. We've seen him line up in the slot and cover really well. He'll hit you at the line. But what he does on the back end, how fast he gets up to the line of scrimmage, the way he can rip the football out of you. And like I said, his energy, even on special teams, this is a really special player because you can ask him to do so many different things. And I think when you're looking at the DB class, I would say he has the highest floor. I would not – listen, his bust potential, it's almost non-existent. You know you're getting at least a good player. And I, I think people will get caught up with some of the flashiness. And listen, he's deserving of it, of Hooker. You know, some people for a while were all on Jabril Peppers. That's kind of fallen off a cliff. But Jamal Adams has been steadily an excellent starter and the leader of his defense. I just like that in – the write-up here that he's physical enough to play with tight ends. You know, I'm not into this as much as Drew is, but when I see that, physical enough with tight ends, I'm like, hey, we see Gronk twice a year. Oh, there, I need somebody to shut that asshole down. People are talking about how O.J. Howard's the, uh, the big tight end in this draft class. I will tell you that there were plays where he just took O.J. Howard off the field when Jamal, when we played LSU. I mean, it was crazy. He, he well, that, I mean, he'll come up and it. punch you in the mouth. Like I said, he has no problem. I, I remember one clip this year where he came down on, on a punt return and he blocked two guys on one block. He just throws his mm-hmm. body like a missile. And 
listen, when you when you want guys like that on your defense, because like you said, you can ask him to take away tight ends. And yep. Like I said, I've seen him go out in the slot. Now, do I think he has the speed over the top to stick with wide receivers consistently? He'll bite on a double move every now and then. But it, when you want a dog in your front seven and a guy that can play in a little bit in coverage, like you said, maybe that robber spot. Mm-hmm. This is a plug-and-play starter. Well, and that brings me to one of my – so we're going to move into the cons, though, because he's not a perfect player. One of the things is that he's, he has very average hands. I mean, he only had one pick in 2016. He had four pass breakups. Most of them were balls that probably could have been picked when I watched him. He just he doesn't have the hands to corral those balls in. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, and I think a lot of that can even be tracking to an extent. Like I said, I, I've seen him bite on double moves and. Listen, his recovery speed is fine, but when you're trying to make up that kind of ground because you're a little over-aggressive, it kind of takes away yep. your turnover ability. When you're going back to a guy like Hooker with elite range and just his recovery speed is off the charts, but what makes Hooker so good as a takeaway machine is his tracking is is excellent. It's as good as it gets, yep. and Jamal does not have that. I don't think he'll be necessarily a ball hawk at the next level. He, you know, He might cause a lot of fumbles. He might be very steady. But I, I don't think he'll just be it will be that ball hawking safety that a lot of teams look for. Now you touched on it. His deep speed is questionable. And I think it's not so much his deep speed. When you watch the tapes, I mean you read all this pre-draft stuff, you get NFL.com's take on things. They question his you know, his his deep speed. Well when he goes to the combine, I expect he's gonna show well in the forty. What I think it is is what you just said, his aggressiveness sometimes causes him to over pursue. And he doesn't have that elite recovery ability where he can uh, pursue as hard as he does and then still find a way to get back from it. He can be beat by play action here and there. He bites on it. But that's because he's always looking to make a big play. And one of the most concerning things to me about him as a prospect is that he hand fights a lot. He is very aggressive in his coverage down the field. I think that in college he was allowed to get away with that, but I think at the NFL level that's something to keep an eye on because he could draw a lot of flags that way. Yeah, and it's something that I hate about the NFL these days because I don't think these defensive backs stand a chance. But when you're evaluating, it's a fair stance to take because, listen, it's going to get called. And I'd rather see a guy fight than than get beat, and I do Mm -hmm. like that about Adams. But there's no doubt that he's a guy, like we said – it's a matter of what you're asking him to do. Now, I think Todd Bowles did a really good job of this his first year with Calvin Pryor. When Calvin Pryor was drafted, people were looking for a free safety. And this is a guy that needs the freedom to just roam, line up the big hit, mostly play at the line of scrimmage. And if a coach brings in Jamal Adams and he wants him to be a true, true free roaming, you know, over the top coverage safety, mm-hmm. you're not going to get the most out of this player. But if you ask him to come up in the box and blitz and play the run and snip out screens and line up in the slot and jam tight ends, that's how you maximize your value with him. Yeah. He's not a player I love, but well, I'll say this. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> what he is is he's not a player that I'm head over heels, oh, my God, I need to get this guy. But if we took him at 10, I wouldn't be pissed off about it. It's a solid pick. Like I said, the floor is really high, but your best hopes is, is hoping that Hooker does slide to that spot. Now, next on this list is a guy that you also touched on earlier, Marshawn Lattimore at cornerback. Now, he's been – he's – been kind of listed as the top cornerback in this draft but considering how many names are on this list i don't even know if that's fair because everyone seems to have their own skills their own i feel like cornerback at this point you can name a guy one but you need to call him one a because i bet you somewhere down the line in that first round there's going to be a guy who's one somebody else's one a you know marshawn Lattimore to me 
he plays fast, which is something that you want to see out of your cornerbacks. You know, a cornerback out of Ohio State, he's fluid in his coverage, which is again something that you need to see out of a cornerback coming into the NFL. But I think he's 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 pre- he shows pretty well in that aspect. He can shade guys, even when he the ball's not thrown in his direction. It's usually because he's he's showing the quarterback that he could make a break on the ball and they just don't trust it. And they know that he's willing to do that. He's got ball skills. He's turned the ball over a lot in his career with Ohio State. One of the things I don't like about him, maybe you can help turn me around on this since it sounds like you might like him a little bit. At the line of scrimmage, he cannot jam receivers. His hand-fighting abilities at the line of scrimmage are very suspect. I think he's just raw. And going back to what you said, I like the player, but I just don't get the consensus top corner thing in this class. He's probably going to finish as my, you know, somewhere between three and five when I stack these corners. I think Sidney Jones and Tease Tabor from Florida, that's kind of my 1A, 1B kind of thing right now. I think both are way ahead of Lattimore, especially their hand fighting at the line, especially their hip fluidity, the way they take away the ball. Listen, I like what Lattimore can become. I think he's got good length. I think his recovery speed is superb. Sometimes you see him turn around, and you saw it against Oklahoma. He had an interception where he just broke on the ball over the top. It was an elite play. But when you're talking about consistency, like you said, is this a guy that you're going to ask to jam NFL wide receivers right away, especially number one and number two wide receivers? Nope. And I've seen him mocked in you know prominent mock drafts. McShay, move the sticks. You know Daniel Jeremiah from NFL Network. Mm-hmm. Guys that are talking to people in the league, he's apparently going to be a top 10 pick. And I think with Lattimore, you're betting on upside. And we've seen teams do this in the past, especially a cornerback. It's a really risky strategy. I hated when the Vikings did it with Trey Waynes. I loved Marcus Peters. I knew there was the off-field concerns. But when you look at a corner and you say you fall in love with his speed and length, but you kind of forget how complete or incomplete of a player he is, that's a gigantic roll of the dice and not a player I'm taking in the top 10. No, see, me either. And that's but one of mine, and I'll have to say, the big thing for me and what Bills fans out there need to know, we've dealt with injury-prone players. I mean, hell, that's, that's, that's the theme of every Bills season. It's halfway through the year, we're wondering where all of our starters are. Yeah, especially are. on the offense. Marshawn Lattimore has had nothing but chronic hamstring issues. He missed significant parts of both of his first two seasons in college with hamstring injuries, both, both left and right. One of them actually required surgery in 2014. The guy just has these nagging things that tend to hang around him. So all of that stuff packaged up with the injuries. I mean, I've seen things comparing him to Janoris Jenkins, but I just, I, with that, with the injury history and everything else, I just don't buy him as a top 10 pick. I don't think he fight. yeah. I don't think he fights at the line like Janoris did coming out of school. I know Janoris really what caused him to slide was his off-field, but at the same time, you know, like you said, this is not a player that's complete like Janoris. It's an upside pick. It's as simple as that. People like to bet on athletes at cornerback. I totally get it, but it's something I would never do. And he's just not the top corner in this class and not a guy. I don't even think I would take him anywhere near the top 15. So now this brings us to our honorable mentions for potential top 10 picks because you just hit on two names that, I'll be honest, I don't have in my top 15 when I'm doing my Drew Gears drunken big board. I don't have Sidney Jones or Jalen Tabor in my top 15. So why don't you do this for me, Connor? Real quick, give me the five-minute rundown on why you think these guys deserve to be 1A and 1B in this draft. Well, I think they're such different players. When you start with Jones, Jones is going to get the Jason Verrett treatment where, listen, he's a little longer. He's probably going to measure in exactly around 5'11", 6'0". He's listed way higher than that. He's not going to measure in 
But he's got a frame of a 170, 185-pound player who can probably gain a little weight, but that's just who he is. But when you look at his movement ability, he can get down the field. He can break on the ball, excellent ball skills. Quarterbacks in the Pac-12 just stopped targeting him at one point and just started to look Kevin King's way, which also didn't really fare that well for them. I think Jones is one of those guys that he's an elite cover corner. You can ask him to do a lot of things. He's a little small, but he can play very well in man coverage. I think he can play on the outside. I've seen him push receivers right out of bounds. He's an excellent player that's kind of been overlooked. Now, do I think he's a player you take in the top 15? It matters how much you value corner and how much you think that frame can hold up. But is he probably a top 15 talent? He's pretty damn close. And when you look at T's Tabor, listen. Well, a lot well, and and I, I hate to cut you off, oh, but I saw Sidney Jones. The last time I saw him, I think he was getting run over by Bo Scarborough in the um, playoffs against Alabama. Yeah, that's a that's a bit of a mismatch. He is, yeah, he is not going to hold up against the run, <laughs> and that scares me for the for his NFL level talent. He, it scares the hell out of me to have a guy that size to take him in the top ten. I just don't. Yeah, see I, it. I don't think you take that player in the top ten. Like I said, you don't take most corners in the top ten. That's not really a great strategy. But I also think when you look at asking these guys to tackle, and I've seen Jones come up and lay the wood, when it comes to tackling, that's probably, you know, in the five, six, or seven down the checklist of corners. Oh, I'm looking for an elite cover corner. I think he's got very high end coverage skills, but you make a good point. When you go back to the size, is this a player you're going to take in the top 15? It'd be very hard for me to take most of these guys in the top 15. I think Hooker's really the, and Adams are the only guys that you say, all right, that's an extremely solid pick, but the corners all have question marks. So now Tease Tabor. Tell me why you think he's your 1B. Yeah, I mean, when you go back and watch Vernon Hargreaves, look across the field at the guy that was shutting down the other side of the field. It was Tabor. And, you know, this year, he it's funny how Tabor completely gets overshadowed in all these seasons, kind of because he doesn't get targeted that much. But Quincy Wilson kind of came in and took the spotlight this year. The last two years, it was Vernon Hargraves. But when you look at Tabor, he's been the model of consistency. I think what worried some people was he did have some random suspensions over the years and nothing too serious, maybe a game here or a half here. But when you look at the player on field, you get a different attitude. There's times where you see him, you know, split stems and break on the ball. He's physical. He's got great ball skills. I think he can really jam and beat up receivers at the line of scrimmage when you ask him to. So when you're looking at a player that's ready to play right now and is a more complete prospect than any other cornerback in this draft, Right now, you're not betting on upside. You're betting on what you've seen. That's why you roll with Tabor. He's the only corner I can truly justify going in the top 15 because you understand the player you're getting. You're not hoping for what he can become. Okay. Now, here's my take on Tabor from all the film I've watched and what I know about him. First off, plays at Florida University. Okay, They're, They have had a great defense over the last few years. You know, Their defense is what has kept them playing for SEC championship games, even though their, their, their quarterback play has been god-awful. That being said, he's better in press cov- coverage and off-man coverage than he is in zone. In fact, he openly complained to the coaching staff about having to play in a zone. That's going to make him a tough fit for the Buffalo Bills. If you're talking about a team that wants to play that, you've got a player who has openly tried to buck the system. You know, And it's not hard to see why he doesn't like it. You watch the tape and you show that the, when he has been asked to drop into a zone, he has a hard time recognizing who's crossing through his zone. You know, if, if there's a shallow cross and there's someone going kind of on a deep cross, he struggles to figure out where he needs to pick up his man or which one, which guy should he take. 
I see that, and I see him get beat by it. You know, he's he's better off being the player who just knows his assignment. Pre-snap, I'm going to get in his hip pocket and try to stay with him. That's his game. I think for the Buffalo Bills, you put him in that zone and you're asking for trouble because he has a hard time diagnosing that play to see who he needs to stick with. Then you have the fact that he had 15 missed tackles in 2015. Now, I didn't go to last year to find out what he did because I, just, I tried to source as much as I could. But that jumped out at me as, hey, there's a guy who, yes, he plays very aggressively. Maybe he needs to get that under control. Maybe that's technique, something that can be taught. Then you throw in the failed drug test. You know, you're talking about his couple suspensions. Yeah, you fail a drug test in college when no one's even really testing that stringently. I mean, the, the NFL is the acid test as far as who tests, how often. You know, there's a ton of guys who smoke pot in college who still make it through college football into the pros without ever getting tipped off as being an offender. Yet somehow he managed to do it. All those things put together, I just I don't see him as a... I'll be honest, you're, gonna, you're probably going to argue against me for this. I don't see him as a top 30 pick for the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, well, when you're talking team-specific, I totally get it, especially for their system, because you're taking the player to excel in man coverage. And obviously, like I said, I don't think the Bills should take a corner in the first round, to be completely honest with you. Me either. I, like I said, I would take the safety and try to maximize that value there. And then look at the day two corners, which we're going to get into very shortly. But, um, yeah, I mean, when you're talking about do I think he's a top 30 player, easily. Is he going to be a top 30 player for every team? Definitely not, because it's a matter of what you're asking him to do. And that brings us to our last possible top 10 prospect, and it's one that I've been waiting to talk to you about all day, Connor. Marlon Humphrey, cornerback out of Alabama. (laughs) The guy has track, track speed physicality at the line of scrimmage and in coverage. He's shown he can bang with big wide receivers, you know. Um, Texas A&M has a pair of big wide receivers, Josh Reynolds and who else? Do you know offhand, who was that other big wide receiver out there at Texas A&M? Texas A&M had Ricky Seals-Jones, who was gigantic. Ricky Seals-Jones, he was asked to cover Ricky Seals-Jones. He was asked to cover Josh Reynolds. He, He got moved all over the field. They found a way to play with those guys and shut them down. And he's solid against the run when it comes to tackling because of his size. Now, you don't like Marlon Humphrey. Yes, please tell everyone. Tell me why you don't like him. Please tell everyone why Drew is wrong. (laughs) No, I get it. And like I said, I think my, my dislike for Humphrey as a prospect is more of that I've seen him as so many people's number one corner, and I think this is more of a day two player when you're looking at him. And it could just be a matter of inexperience. I believe he was redshirt sophomore this year. He obviously declared pretty early. I think he's a guy that's very vulnerable to giving up the big play. And like you said, he does have speed. We know he's an athlete. But a lot of his problems come from technique. I think he overreacts to certain routes. I think he, his footwork is is not very good, especially off the line of scrimmage. I think there's times where he just doesn't play the ball very well in the air. And I know you've seen this from watching a ton of Alabama. There's times where he's right there and you're like, take the ball away or make a play on the ball. And he just doesn't see it. And it's not for a lack of size because this is a guy, he's probably going to measure in over six feet tall and he's probably got a 200 pound frame. But there's just so much more I want to see from him. And I just right now to use a first round pick on this kind of player, he gets beat too much. He gives up a big play. I just don't. I think his technique really needs to be cleaned up. And if you're talking about taking him for the bills, I don't think Marlon Humphrey is going to be a zone zone corner for the long haul. Not at all. And I'll tell you, (laughs) I appreciate you being brutally honest with me, man. 
because I love Marlon Humphrey when he was wearing the Crimson Tide jersey. But I'll tell you right here, I'm looking at my, I'm looking at just my review notes. When I watch film, I keep notes. My notes under him, I just put down Humphrey equals Leotis McKelvin. He is the closest thing to Leotis McKelvin I've seen in recent history. There's a guy who, when the ball, he seems like a great cornerback. He's got all these athletic traits, but when yep. the ball is in the air, especially when you hit the nail on the head, deep balls. We Alabama got beat so many times on deep passes that went to Humphreys because when the ball is in the air, he, it's almost like he doesn't know how to find it. And so, no, it, yeah, non-existent tracking. And when you look at that Alabama front seven that he has helping him out, that's the scariest part of the whole thing. Oh yeah, because I, I I will I will say that I remember a game. It was when the Bills had just come off a big win over the New England Patriots. We went to Cincinnati, and Cincinnati with AJ Green just rolled us. AJ Green put up almost two hundred yards of offense that day. And he worked Leotis McKelvin. Why? Because McKelvin couldn't adjust to the ball in the air, and they figured that out early. And so they worked us with it. Because A.J. Green is elite. He can catch the ball over most cornerbacks in coverage. When you've got a cornerback who doesn't know how to find the ball in the air, that's what you end up with. So you're right. I will say that I agree with most of your points. I needed to hear why you didn't like him. <laughs> I needed to hear why you didn't like him just to make sure it's not that Alabama bias that Chris loves to throw at me because he's an Auburn fan. War Eagle. Boo! Oh. Now, Connor, who do you like in like late first, second, third rounds? Yeah, if we're talking about cornerbacks here, if we're talking about corners, I, who do you I like here? I love Cordrea Tankersley from Clemson. I, I think for some reason, you're talking about a national championship team, and he gets no love. And I think he could do so many different things. I think he could be a really good zone corner. I think if you ask him to play at the line, he can do it. He, he plays the ball extremely well. He always has his head around. He's somebody that, listen, he was really, really good two years ago playing across from Mackenzie Alexander, and teams didn't really notice. And then this year, he's on a national championship team. And once again, listen, was Clemson's front seven great? They were they were good. It was a good front seven. But it's not like he had the help of an elite front seven all the time. I think he was so consistent in coverage. When he did get targeted, he didn't allow much of anything. He plays the ball really well in the air for whatever reason. I don't know if it's because maybe he's not an elite athlete, but for whatever reason, he's not being talked about as a you know a top corner or a top five corner. He's probably going to go in the end of the second round, and he's probably going to be a 10-year starter in the NFL. See, now when I look at Cordero Tanker, Trankersley, Jesus Christ, the whiskey, God, when I look at Tankersley, what I see is a guy who, you're right, he is, he, is, he is very good, but not elite speed or size when it comes to playing boundaries at the cornerback and NFL, you know, at the NFL level. The thing that I get is that I watch him when he gets to the top of his route tree, and I see that some of the biggest plays he's given up is that at the top of the route tree, you know, he can just, I don't know, like say people go deep and then curl. Or people go deep and then kind of give him a little rub and then try to go to the sideline. He can get pushed off deep. I don't know. Give me your opinion. Is that because he's trying to work too hard on the ball? Or do you think it's just because he doesn't have the strength to hold up to those more aggressive wide receivers? I think it could be a mix of both. I don't think he's the biggest guy in the world in terms of weight, going back to the Sidney Jones thing. I think he's probably going to measure in as a true six feet tall, but he's probably a 190-pound player. So you're not talking about a super light player. 
We're just not talking about the strongest player. And this is why maybe he's just his own corner, and which would be perfect for you guys. Yeah, are you going to consistently ask him to jam at the line and ask, you know, to beat guys up at the sideline on the boundary? I, I don't know if he's that kind of player. But when you go back to can he run with people, I think he has enough speed. He's probably a four or five player. Does he see the ball well in the air? Of course he does. I think he has pretty good hips and really good feet. So, once again, is he probably a long-term number two corner, a guy that you don't really want to ask to go shadow number ones? That's not who he is. But you're talking about solid guys that are probably going to go between picks 40 to 75 and going to definitely be a starter at the next level. I think he could do a lot of different things. And I love what he's put out there over the last two years on tape. You know what you're getting. Once again, this isn't a player where you're hoping he grows into something. I think you can kind of get an instant impact player. So, Tankersley, you think a top 60 pick – and you think he's going to be a 10-year starter? Yeah, I would definitely. I would bet on that. I think he's just a guy that projects as a very solid number two corner. Drew, is there a cornerback that you like best for and If I'm talking about second, late, third? if I was going to go late, late, late first, oh, well, first off, late first round, if there, was a, if there was a cornerback, Tankersley would probably be it. Also, you're talking about early second, even into the third round. you got to know names like Tredavious White. Out of LSU, he's a solid coverage corner. He doesn't give up separation when it comes to man coverage. He's got returner ability. He sees the ball very well and reacts to it well in the air. And he kind of reads, kind of, kind of like what I was bagging on uh, Jalen Tabor for, not being able to see patterns develop and see who he needs to take in his own coverage. Tredavious White does a really good job of taking those away. The one thing I don't like about him is that his small size leads him, he struggles against big wide receivers. Josh Reynolds from Texas A&M is a big receiver who's coming up in this draft. We're actually going to talk about him later on in the series. But he's un, he got worked by Josh Reynolds in their game against Texas A&M. And I also think that Tredavious White can be somewhat unpolished when you're talking about him versus the running game. I mean, Connor, what do you think about Tredavious White? I think he's a slot corner, and I think he's just a true 180-pound. Listen, he can run. We know that. And I think you nailed it with saying he sees things in front of him really well. And I think that comes from experience. He made the right call by returning to school. And, you know, often I don't think I should go back to school for the injury risk and so many different reasons. But we saw a player that was a little smarter this year. He made some growth, and he definitely, you know, he improved. But I just don't think he's a he's a boundary or a field corner. He's not a guy that you put on the outside and ask him to run downfield with a guy like Reynolds. Like you said, he doesn't have the size to do it because, like a lot of players, even if he has the speed to get there, he can get beat at the high point of the ball. And that's a little concerning when you're talking about taking a guy in the top 30. That's probably why, once again, he's a day two pick. Now, listen, a slot corner is a starter in the NFL right now. A lot of teams are coming out in nickel packages as their base defense. So there's nothing wrong with realizing the value there. It's just a matter of you have to know what you're getting with him. If you put him on the outside, you're probably in trouble. And then there's one one other guy I want to talk about in this group. Okay, I'm, I'm taking a look at him. There's one guy who sticks out to me that I'm really curious in getting your input on because he's a guy that I've been up and down on, Adoree Jackson. You talk to some people, you, you hear him talked about like he's a legitimate first-round talent, the guy's going to be an all-world player, he's a dangerous guy in your secondary. You talk to other people and what they see is a small cornerback who gets pushed around in the running game. Now, I take a look at him and I say, okay, he's got top-end ball skills. I mean, he had five picks last year. He's returned not only picks for touchdowns last year, kickoffs and punts. He had four of them returned for touchdowns last year. 
And then against Alabama in the game, I got to watch him play like, well, one of the few games I got to watch him play in because I watched two or three of them. I watched the Penn State game in the Rose Bowl, which he was electric until he got hurt. I watched him play against Alabama, and he just shut Kelvin Ridley down. Ridley is a good receiver. He runs crisp routes. He gets open. It's hard to keep him, and he's fast. Yet, Adoree Jackson found a way to shut him down. The downside to Adoree Jackson is that despite those highlight reel plays, his size is always going to be a problem. He's a small guy. You know, he's under he's under 5'11", I believe. Everyone lists him at 5'11", 5'10". I think he's going to come in somewhere on the low end of 5'10". He looks smaller. And, and probably about 185 pounds. You know, so he's, we're probably looking at a career nickel cornerback. And when he does get beat, because he's very good in coverage, but when he gets beat, it's usually deep because his limited size just keeps him from being able to disrupt the pass or the wide receiver when the ball's in the air. And because of his size, he's not good against the press, so you can't ask him to jam wide receivers. I mean, what is your take on Adore Jackson? I've been much lower on Adoree than a lot of people, and that's just because I'm not sure this is a player that will ever develop into a starting cornerback. So when you're talking about when you draft him, right now you're drafting a special teams player. And honestly, long term, his best move might have been being a slot receiver, but obviously we're not going to go that route. I think, like you said, he's vulnerable to giving up the big play. Now, of course, he has the speed to run downfield. But, I mean, we're talking about – there was – I think he had at least five games where he gave up a play of at least 30 yards. So you're talking about a player that consistently gives up the big play. And I just – I think you're betting on an athlete here. He's super light. Obviously, like you said, he can't jam at the line. But I think his technique leaves a lot to be desired. Now, can that improve? Of course it can. But when you're talking about what he can become, his ceiling is not a number one corner. His ceiling is not a number two corner. You're pegging his ceiling as a number three corner in the NFL. And how high can you take that guy? No matter how good of a kick returner, and we've seen what the NFL has done to the kick return process as a whole, or as a punt returner, he's an elite special teams player. He has a long ways to go as a corner. And with his size, he's always going to be limited. I mean, like I said, he's probably a third round player to me right now. Fantastic. So you, we, we were just, you know, just talking about a guy who's kind of more of an athlete than a guy playing the position that he's going to be drafted in. So that kind of helps me lead off this group of late first round, second round, and third round safeties. We're going to kick it off with Jabril, Jabril Peppers. Good lord, can I get any more mush mouth tonight? Is he? Is he? Like, where does his talent? Is he a first round pick? It seems like he, uh, a, a lot of draft stuff that I read, you just don't know where he fits. No, I mean, he's, he played free safety, strong safety, wide receiver, quarterback in the wildcat, running back. He's all over the field. I mean, he's a solid athlete. There's no, there, there is no disputing that Jabril Peppers from, you know, is a solid athlete, but he's a tweener. In my eyes, Jabril Peppers is a tweener who was way overhyped by the media. And what do you think, Connor? Yeah, the hype train got out of control with this one. I mean, the problem is his transition to – and I would have loved to see him stay in college because I think he's a really good college player. And listen, I live in New Jersey where Jabril is from. And everybody here, you know, from people that knew him from high school to the high school coaches, a lot of them believe that he should have been an offensive player. When you look at his highlight tape from college, this is a player that could have been a very good running back, maybe a slot receiver, a guy that could do a lot of different things. 
But, I mean, he's going the defensive route. And, listen, he's not a free safety. He doesn't have the size or range to be a free safety. He's not a cornerback because I just don't think he has that kind of coverage ability. And he's not big enough to be a linebacker. So where does that leave you? That leaves him as a chess piece, strong safety. And how high do you take that player? This is a luxury piece. This is a player that, you know, can you take him that high to be an instant impact player? He's not going to make a bad defense good. He's going to make a good defense very good. That's the difference between this. And not a lot of teams in the NFL have that luxury to use a top 30 pick on a player like that. He's probably going to slide. I, you know, it's hard to even peg a fit for him right now because, you know, what are you asking him to do? Listen, he can he plays in the box very well. I think his speed to the line of scrimmage is excellent. I think he's a smart player. I've seen him diagnose screens, seen him diagnose outside runs, inside runs. I think he could beat up tight ends a bit, even for his size. I was actually pretty impressed with his coverage underneath. But you're not going to ask him to cover over the top. You're not going to ask him to split out wide and get in coverage. And, and he's a good special teams player. It goes back to the same argument for Dory Jackson, but he's just a little bit more of an impact player on defense right now, Peppers. But when you look at the class he's stacked against, it, it doesn't look good for him, especially as a top 20 guy. I don't see it happening. Everything that you just said about Peppers, as you were talking, in my head, I'm thinking, this sounds like somebody that Belichick would take. Did you foresee Peppers playing in New England system? Oh, for sure, without a doubt, because Belichick knows how to maximize talent, and he knows how to get the most out of anyone. So if you're talking about, listen, pick 32, if Jabril Peppers is sitting there, that's good value because you're getting an excellent special teams player. He could do a little bit on offense if you decide to go that route. But you can ask him to do a lot of different things on defense. And I think, listen, with New England – that's a defense that, don't get me fooled, just because they won the Super Bowl, we saw how vulnerable that defense was all season. They have a lot to improve on. They're going to lose some guys in free agency, especially if they lose Harmon, especially if they lose Logan Ryan. They have to patch up that secondary. And, I mean, it, at 32, that's a that's a value pick right there. I hate New England. I've only got three things to say about Jabril Peppers. You recorded no interceptions last year. None. As a safety, one fell in his lap. <laughs> one fell in your lap, but you did. I, I see. I don't count that. I'm sorry. I think it's garbage. Oh, I get it. You didn't make any plays in the ball. You only forced one fumble. I'm sorry. At your best, you're Dayoni Buchanan, who isn't a world beater by any stretch. You never of the a good year at all. And at your worst, you're an athlete with subpar ball skills trying to find a way to get on the football field. I'm sorry, Jabril Peppers is untouchable in this draft. As a Buffalo Bills fan, if they draft Jabril Peppers anywhere, you're going to be outside. On I the patio. look at it as a wasted pick. You're going to be outside on the patio having beers. Oh by yourself. man! So, just to Connor, just so you understand, and maybe being the draft analyst that you are, you can appreciate this. When we had the draft with Brian Arakpo and Maben, so Brian Arakpo <laughs> was there. He was there for the taking, the Buckus Award winner. He was. He was there. And I'm doing the Arecpo dance. I'm jamming. My house is full of people. I've got about 45 people that I invited over for a draft party between me and my three friends, his family members, whoever. And I'm like, there's no way. This is a no-brainer. You take Brian Arecpo for this defense. It's going to be great. He's going to get sacks. He's going to be good against the run. And all of a sudden, they flash to a picture of Aaron Mabin on the phone. (laughs) And without saying a word to anyone, I went to the fridge. I just took some beers and just swept them into my shirt, almost used it like a hammock. I grabbed a kitchen chair and I went outside and proceeded to drink about a 12-pack and I smoked half a pack of cigarettes and just told everyone to get the hell away from me for the rest of the day. <laughs> None of you could talk to me. There, there was nothing. Any, I was inconsolable. I will feel that way if we spend a top 
60 pick on Jabril Peppers. Yeah. Listen, I, I totally get it. And I, th- I think for the Bills, that'd be a really weird fit. Just being honest with you, it'd be a bit of a surprise. I'm still laughing at that story because, I, like I told you guys before the show, my dad's a big Penn State fan. And I remember when Maven declared, he looked at me and he was like, why the hell did that guy declare? And listen, like Maven was fun to watch in college because he can get away with his style of play. But it was just such a shock. And then it was even bigger shock when he went, what, top 15, was it? I mean, it was absolutely absurd. Absolutely. It was absurd. (laughs) Now, uh, Connor, I'm used to getting all this homerisms from Drew over here. Can you give me a non-homer opinion on Eddie Jackson? Yeah, and I like – listen, I think one of the most interesting points in this draft is that an Eddie Jackson didn't get hurt it would be consensus that he is a much better player than Jabril Peppers as an NFL prospect. And Thank you. The, the, the Bang! Book it! Woo! Is, Suck it, Chris! <laughs> fingers! When people, oh, you know, when players guns. get hurt, people Woo. forget things. And Eddie Jackson was so good on the back end for Alabama for about a year and a half straight as a guy that could be a ball hawk. And listen, the NFL desires these ball hawking players. And it wasn't just a product of Alabama's system when you watch his turnovers. Yes, the pressure gets there, but he always knew where to be and he had really good range. So if he proves in his medicals that he's okay, he's probably a middle round two player and a, definitely a starter at the NFL level, level at free safety. And when you look at his skills, they translate so well to what the NFL wants. I think he has good size, I loved his range. I didn't have a lot of questions about Eddie Jackson, and coming into the season, you know, I'm circling players on the Alabama defense. Me and Miller actually did a video where we talked about how I think they had six projected first-round picks from the defense. We thought Jackson was a fringe guy there. We thought picks 25 to 35 was his range. So if he didn't get hurt, it would be much different conversations surrounding him right now. Now, besides those two guys, now we talked about guys who might go high. Are there any other guys in the top three rounds that you think at the safety position, be it free safety, strong safety, who else? I'm talking about guys who might fit a zone-conscious scheme, you know, you know, who know that they're, they're going to have to be very responsible for what goes on in the deep end because their corners are going to be playing kind of a zone, and if they get beat, it's going to be on them to bring them down. Yeah, I mean, I think the most interesting player, and, and listen, there's not a, just a ton of guys with range. Tedrick Thompson, and he's probably not a top you know, three-round kind of player, but Tedrick Thompson from Colorado is a guy that showed a lot of range over the top, and he played behind two really good corners with the Woozy and Akilo Weatherspoon. I think that Colorado defense has a lot of NFL talent on it. I know Tedrick Thompson's not a household name right now, but when you look at him, you listen, you know, he went to the Shrine Week. He had a really good season. I think he'd fit really nice. And, you know, like you said, they're going to play a cover three, cover two kind of scheme. They need help over the top. If you're looking for value in round four through, you know, rounds four through six, that's kind of the player you're looking at there. Uh, when you go back, you know, earlier projections, like you said, Buda Baker's a really interesting case because he's a guy that's cursed Woo! by the, the size bug. Yeah. But I don't, this is an exception right here. This goes back to kind of the honey badger thing where I do not care how small this player is. He tackles well. He reads plays in front of him. He jumps routes. He has very good closing speed. I love everything about Buda Baker. I don't care how small he is. He's going to be a very good NFL player. He should be a top 45 pick, and it's a sin if if he goes further than that just because of size because that's just overlooking an excellent skill set. I'm glad that you said that because Buda Baker is one of my favorite prospects in this draft. I have a hard-on for Buda Baker. (laughs) That guy just, he makes plays. 
The guy awesome. makes plays when you ask him to, and he never shies away from contact. You go into NFL, you know, NFL, you know, NFL.com, and you look at his draft profile, they compare him to Bob Sanders. Now, while I don't think that That's anyone can ridiculous. ever really compare to Bob Sanders because Bob Sanders was elite. I think that Buda Baker has the mindset of a guy who's, hey, I'm a small safety, but that's not going to scare me away from, you know, I, it doesn't scare him away from trying to lay hits. And yet his athleticism keeps him in most games. He can, he can hang out. Bigger receivers over the top don't scare him. He can make plays on the ball. If you underthrow it and he happens to be down there, good luck. And he still even finds his way into the box to make plays behind the line of scrimmage or at the line of scrimmage. I think Buda Baker is probably my favorite safety prospect in this draft. All right. Come. I mean, I totally get it. And I liked what he did behind those corners with Jones and Kevin King. I thought those guys were, you know, really good at beating receivers up at the line. I think he played over the top of them really well. But I think when he came down underneath, he broke on the ball so well. And, and like I said, you know, he's probably the safety class is so interesting. I would make the argument that Hooker, Jamal Adams, Eddie Jackson, Buda Baker, those guys are easily ahead of Jabril Peppers, even though Peppers has gotten so much love. I, I love what Buda Baker can do. You ask him, you know, he's got such a versatile skill set. And I think what people are overlooking is I think he has a really good form tackler. I don't when a guy's small, he has to be able to tackle well. And when I say well, I mean wrap up, not just look to, you know, kind of bounce off of somebody. And there's a lot of reasons to love Buda Baker. I don't think he's going to make it out of the top, you know, 40 picks. It's going to be really interesting where his projection falls and how his combine looks. Now, oh, absolutely. Connor, you're in the sixth, seventh round. Give us one late round gem in the second in the secondary that will that you want picked in the sixth, seventh round. Like if it's your football team, your your draft, you're a GM and your draft is you're Doug Whaley. You've hung out and you're like, okay, I need a guy late in this draft. Who can I turn to? He's still there on the board. And I can't believe it. I run to the podium with his name. What do you have for me? I really like Demonte Casey. I saw him down in Mobile, but I I watched a lot of him this year because you know I just somebody kind of threw that name to me back in September. I, and listen, another guy probably going to play in the slot. I saw him down in Mobile. He can get beat on the outside just because of size. But when you're talking about a, a guy that makes plays on the ball, this guy is everywhere. I think he runs so well underneath, sideline to sideline. He could take on a crossing routes. He does dirty work. He, I know he kind of resembles what Buster's screen was for the Browns and Jets over the last couple of years. Just a guy that you look at his size and you're okay, but he plays so much bigger than that. I really like what he does. Another guy that, you know, just to give you another one, I don't think he's going to fall into this range. He probably goes in the fourth or third round. But Fabian Morrow out of UCLA, he beats receivers up at the line, and I do think his long speed is really good. He had a list-ranked injury in 2015, came to UCLA as a running back, so he has that thicker build. But he's gotten better over time, and since returning from injury, he's looked really good. So injury always buries these guys, but if he falls into day three – there's no doubt he could be a starting corner on the outside pretty quickly. Now, one of my sleepers, Connor, and I want to just—I I know you probably haven't done a ton of film because now we're getting deep. We're scraping the bottom of the barrel here. I'm a GM. I'm under the gun. I'm sweating. It's, you know, it's it's round five, round six. I don't know who I'm going to take. And I look at the board and I see the name Brendan Langley, cornerback out of Louisville. Guys that don't know him, he's six feet tall, he weighs 200 pounds. He's got a big-ass wingspan. His senior season, he had 43 tackles, seven passes broken up, and six interceptions. Last season, he had 11 passes broken up. 
The guy is just big. He plays with athleticism, and he's good in zone because he can drop back and play that off coverage because his size and his recovery speed seem to let him get back into the play. As a late round pick, if I'm if he's there in the fourth round, I, th- there's no way I'm not running to the podium with his name. There's no way. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you brought him up because this is a player we talked about before the show where I haven't gotten to see a ton of him. And the only Louisville I've really watched and kind of been underwhelmed by is Devontae Fields. I mean, so I got to watch more of that secondary. You know, I love the size. I love the combine for what it brings because you get to see some guys that you just really didn't get into a film yet. And that's going to be an interesting name because you're not the first person to throw his name my way over the last week. But, I mean, he could definitely be a riser down the stretch, especially corners. Corners don't get enough love during the regular season. Now's their time to shine. Oh, absolutely. So, and that, that brings me to our final thoughts. Connor, this has been fucking great having you on the show because I finally have someone to talk to who watches the draft <laughs> and knows stuff about this. I mean, Chris, I'm not going to bash you, but you don't, you don't know what we're talking about, do you? No, I know about <laughs> Kango hats, the NHL, Moosehead. How to, how to produce the shit out of a podcast. Yeah, producing the podcast. Um, Connor, what what kind of things are, can we find you doing over the course of the next couple months with the draft at Bleacher Report? Uh, Bleacher Report, I'm going to be doing our NFL 400 series. So when Matt Miller releases all of his rankings, uh, that'll be a combined effort from him, me, and two other guys. Right now, I'm watching the D-Tackles. Uh, not the most exciting group. going to warn you right now. It's been a bit of a bore and defensive backs is always my favorite every year. So that's been kind of interesting because I've kind of been in the weeds for a little bit, hiding out and just, you know, throwing some stuff on Twitter, but not a ton of writing. One writing series I'm doing right now at FanRag Sports is I'm doing a seven-round mock draft for every team, counting down from 32 with the Patriots. Just finish up with the Packers today, so I'll get to your Buffalo Bills. You know, we got a little bit of a ways to go, but that'll be coming your way. Excellent. And where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, at Connor J. Rogers, C-O-N-N-O-R-J-R-O-G-E-R-S. Connor, thank you so much for coming on to the show tonight. Hopefully we can get you back on before this whole pre-draft process is over because I'll tell you, you're a guy who knows his shit. I love it. Thanks, guys. It was, uh, it was great talking to you guys. You guys have a great show, so I'm looking forward to coming back, and we'll catch up, all right? Absolutely. Thanks so much for stopping by, Connor. All right, later, guys. And there you have it, folks. Defensive backs. I'm telling you, it's it's the position to watch this year. The Buffalo Bills are obviously going to need help at this position. They are. I mean, I don't see Stephon Gilmore sticking around. I just don't. I don't see our team committing the resources to him as a player that it's going to require to keep him here in Buffalo long term. Is it safe to say you're going to look at this draft in the same vein you saw last year as far as the defensive tackle? Deep, Absolutely. Deep position. We took. Washington in the third round, and he, for the most part of the season, he did produce, kind of fell off at the end, probably the rookie hangover, because mm-hmm. like week 12 is when his college season would end. Yeah. And he had his hang-ups. So I, I assume we're going to look like that, take a third, fifth, I don't think we have a fourth, take a fifth round flyer on a corner who probably has second, third round talent. I don't know. I, I think that the Bills are going into this draft with a lot of questions. And I think a lot of it hinges on what they do at quarterback, although I I don't see them taking a quarterback in the first round. But I think depending on what they do with with that pick at number 10, honestly, my opinion is that we trade back. If you have a position on your team where, okay, you're going into next season with Roby and Seymour as your starters if you don't do anything. 
And Darby. And you don't. Well, no, that's what I mean. Robe, okay. Roby, Darby, Darby, Seymour. Seymour as your three starters. I'm sorry, I'm not confident in that. So there's going to be a draft pick at cornerback. I think with this draft as deep as it is, if that's the position that they've targeted, and I'm just saying if, I don't know, because we're going to get into some other, you know, we're going to get other draft categories that I could see a guy getting picked where we have it. You know, we stand pat at number 10. But if, if they've decided the defensive back is the way to go at the top of our draft board, I don't see how you don't trade back. I think that's going to be a consensus of us as we lead into the draft because I'm a proponent of that trading back because you could get I two or get three more guys. You could get, get more two picks. or three cracks at guys who could be starters for you down the road. That's my point. If defensive backs are what are driving the Buffalo Bills at this point, and that's what they want out of this, then you almost have to trade back because the depth is there. You could still snag a guy like Buda Baker. You could get an Eddie Jackson in the second round, and you could also snag a Tankersley. You could snag. All, uh, one of any of these cornerbacks who drop down to that second round and end up with two legitimate NFL starters. That's how deep this position is, guys. So this is going to be, in my opinion, the most, I would say, entertaining position to watch in the pre-draft run-up. It really will be. Now, guys, there's a lot of work still to be done. There's a lot still to be said. But we got to get out of here because I got to go home and check on the old lady but not before I have a couple more pops. Chris, you got anything else to say? Thanks to Connor for coming on from the Bleacher Report. Connor J. Rogers on Twitter. Follow him and his draft analysis. Guys, thanks for stopping by on Valentine's Day. Hope you all found that love and feeling you were looking for. I love you. <laughs> I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rock Pile Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.